You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. If the White Sox end up making it to the postseason and do any damage in the postseason, the MVP of the team is a guy that didn't even start the season on the Major League roster. It's Johnny Cueto. It has to be Johnny Cueto. It has to be the guy that in the middle of a mediocre run in which I think this team was 500 through their last 100 games at one point, and at the same time, 500 through their last 50 at that point. A team that up until they won on Monday night was 6-2 to start the season. And with the win on Monday night, 500 since then. A team that has floundered and maddened you and just gotten under your skin. This may be one of the most frustrating teams I've ever watched play in a White Sox uniform no matter which uniform that it was, even the cursive C, like all of them. I'm in a text message on Monday night, like a little chat with my father, who's in his early 70s, his brother, my uncle and godfather, who's in his mid-70s. I got my 14-year-old walking around the house. I'm talking White Sox with him. I got my my 7-year-old son sitting next to me watching that game as the Sox come back with two outs in the eighth inning. And after the game is over... Just the guardedness of it all. One, my father going, wait, they actually won it? Because he got disgusted and turned it off. His brother making fun of him for turning it off. And then in the very next text saying, don't get too excited, Chris. Like making fun of me for being young at 45 and a little too wide-eyed for his jadedness. And if you've listened to this show, you know that I'm not that. And then having my, my son sit next to me, my littlest one, And he's like jumping up and down and I'm even guarding him like, yeah, we won four straight, but who knows? This is the 2022 Tony La Russa led White Sox, right? But it's, it's, it's Johnny Cueto. If you make it into the postseason, because Johnny Cueto in the middle of this anemic season where you have a manager that nods off in the dugout and is caught on film where he pulls Michael Kopech and I'm going to get into this. And don't worry, I'm not going to sit there and say Michael Kopech was a shoe-in to pitch all nine innings. He probably would have had to have thrown 125 pitches, and that would have been absurd for him. But he pulls him on 85 pitches the other night with a no-hitter going. And the fire Tony chants come out, and I, I thought that was acceptable based upon the situation and his pitch count, and we'll get into it. But in the middle of a season like this, for Cueto to come out and publicly say, and we talked about this on the last episode, which you can get anywhere podcast can be found and always at SoxInTheBasement.com. For Cueto to say, this team needs a little more fire. I know they have it. Like we said, he wasn't saying this team has no fire. What he was saying is they have it. They're not showing it. They're capable of it. And it's time to turn it on. What did he get in response? The old man got mad at him for not keeping it in the family. But Andrew Vaughn, your young, talented, impressionable outfielder who's really a first baseman, but outfielder, all he talks about is Jose Abreu's work ethic. And now I hear him raving about Johnny Cueto is right. 
And he was right. You got Steve Stone after the game on Monday night talking about recently, Yoan Moncada, a guy who Stone has been all over for not running out ground balls, definitely not drop third strikes, lollygagging it out there, not looking interested in the bats. Stone's been all over him. And Stone immediately goes, I can tell there's something different because in the last couple of days, I'm watching Yoan Moncada knowing he's going to be out at second on a fielder's choice play to second base, digging as hard as he can. Like it was the first time that Stone had seen that, not only this year, but probably in years from Yoan, right? Better dancer than a hustler, but he's doing it all of a sudden. This is like one of those Hollywood movies, maybe. I I know, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. We've won four in a row and I'm giddy tonight. But uh, this is like one of those things where somebody finally said, hey, wake up. And they're actually waking up, possibly. I mean, it was against the Tigers, who they've owned all year long. They sweep them. But sweeping a team, even a bad team, is not a guarantee. And they did it. And then they get Houston coming in, and everybody, everybody is basically saying, well, this is about where it's going to end. Houston's going to come into town and just kick their butts. And Johnny Cueto goes out there on the mound and just won't leave the mound. And the machismo. The, the, the challenge, when was the last time you saw a White Sox pitcher stand on the mound and plunk a guy? I believe on purpose. He's got two on, and he would rather face Bregman. So he hits Jordan Alvarez, their most dangerous hitter. He just plunks him. He's got over 1,000 OPS, and he's like, well, I'm not letting this guy beat me, and I'm not wasting pitches, so I'm just going to put one right off his butt. And that, was, that was so intentional, and it wasn't even funny. I'm sure he's going to tell people, I didn't see the post game. I'm sure he told people, ah, it just got away from me. No way. When was the last time you saw a White Sox pitcher bully somebody like Jack McDowell used to? I mean, even, even Burley would throw inside on people. It's been a while. You know, that guy right there, he's worth re-signing. He's worth keeping on this team. He's the MVP of this team because he is leading them. He is willing them to victories right now, a pitcher, a pitcher who was signed to a minor league contract who had an out where he could have left and gone anywhere if the Sox didn't elevate him to the majors in time. And they didn't. And he stuck around anyway because he wanted to be here. And he's the one rallying the team. And they're following him. The pitching staff is following him. You could see that. I thought it was very interesting. Friday night, I'm at that game, sitting there with my 14-year-old son, Dominic, and I'm watching Johnny Cueto walk out of the bullpen with Michael Kopech. Like, we're in this together. Let's go, young blood. And then there's Kopech. No hitter through six. This episode of Socks in the Basement and every episode of Socks in the Basement is brought to you proudly by Family Waterproofing Solutions. They want to keep water out of your basement. They'll take care of bowling walls, window wells, foundation and crack repair, concrete raising, some pumps, gutter cleaning. Pretty soon the leaves will be falling. They're veteran and family owned and operated since they opened in 2013. They've won numerous awards and they give you money off if you mention socks in the basement. Give them a call 24-7 at 708-330-4466. See what a difference a family makes at familydry.com. I'm on my own today. I think you, you've noticed this at this point. Ed couldn't make it and I was like, I got it. It's been a while since I just sat at the bar and talked with you one-on-one. And I, I like it every once in a while. I kind of like, I kind of dig just doing it by myself. It, it takes me back to 
when I was doing radio and I wouldn't have a crew with me and I got to talk directly to the listener. And I, I love that. I wish I had calls. You know, the good news is we do have calls. We have people that we can talk to. I'll get to some calls before this 30 minutes of socks is over. I also want to say hello to all of our new subscribers. We were out at two different events. And when I say we, I mean the broadcast basement on demand radio network. And it was really just me and my kids. My, my two teenagers helping me out. Uh, at a couple of different events on the South Side, Thursday night, we were in a park at a festival. Saturday, we were at a car show with some cool, awesome cars and military vehicles. We're playing a new game called Pod Squares. We're giving away cash money. And those of you that signed up for the podcast, you are still in the running for the money. No winners Thursday or Saturday. It rolls over. I'm taking some of this advertiser money and I'm giving it back to the fans. So next time you hear about us being at a location, get there. And we're going to be at some fun ones. I think I have three to four Oktoberfest already lined up between the beginning of September and mid-October. And a barbecue smoking competition, a rib competition in Evergreen Park where I'm cooking smoking ribs. I finished in the top three before I intend to get back up into the winner's circle again. I'm going to be giving away stuff and you'll have a chance to win that cash. So we'll get all those details out to you very, very soon before I get to Friday night and Michael Kopech and the no hitter that I don't think he was going to get. He wasn't going to go nine, but he was pulled too early and I'll explain why. And I'll explain why some of the explanations for what Tony did is one of the reasons why Sox fans get so frustrated, especially this year. But on Monday night, the White Sox did something incredible and improbable and weird. It did not turn out the way it should have. A.J. Pollock with like a bunt single, like a bunt swing check thing, whatever he did. And then Dusty Baker, Dusty Baker's it. I talked about that on this, on this program before. Like, yeah, okay, he finally got a World Series. Overall, throughout his career, in-game management, especially with bullpens, Lots of massive mistakes he's made, sometimes in playoff series that switched over the outcome of that playoff series. I mean, I remember back to how he just got played by Mike Sosha back in the, I want to say the 0-2 World Series when he was the Giants manager. He was just played like a fiddle throughout that entire series. Sosha would make him think a guy was coming up so he would change pitchers and then he'd be like, no, 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 this guy's coming up now to hit a home run. It was crazy. So... Dusty pulls his pitcher on Monday night, who's doing very well, after Pollock gets on. You get Andrew Vaughn, best hitter of the young hitters on this team. I'm not going to say that Jose Abreu is not the best player on this team. He's been just a stud, especially after the slow start. You look at his stats. Wow. Then you get Jimenez, who looks terrible at the plate, but takes a pitch that's inside and not in the strike zone down the line and ties the game. And all of this is happening with two outs and nobody on when it starts. Now, Abreu gets put on first. They try to pitch around him and then eventually just put him on. Grandal comes up and he's not going to get a hit because he's hitting under 200, but at least he's doing the get on base thing again. And that's what he's got to be. Although it's rough when that's your five hitter in the lineup. You're expecting your five hitter to get the big hit. So yeah, now he's on base and Yuan Moncada comes up. Now, Moncada had aggravated me the last time he was up. In fact, that entire team in the seventh inning, it was brutal. Brutal. Was that the seventh? If it wasn't the seventh, it was the sixth. They got, they got the first out on two pitches off of Jimenez. Then Abreu and Grandal worked the count. There's two on and one out. 
Moncada first pitch out. Harrison first pitch out. Gross. Moncada swings first pitch here and gets just the perfect pitch to hit. High fastball down the middle. If the pitcher had half a brain, if the Astros had half a brain, if whoever made the decision to do that had half a brain, they would have realized he was swinging at the first pitch no matter what. Thank goodness they didn't. And it worked out. And that's great for Moncada because he needs the confidence boost. Because as we've talked about before, and Ozzie Gian's alluded to it, he's the guy who really cares a lot and gets in his own head. Big win for the White Sox. Huge. Just an excellent win for this team. They need to take three out of four against the Astros for it to really matter. If they split this series, does that game matter that much? I don't know. If your loved one needs some medical equipment, whether it be for diabetes care, some oxygen, aids put up around the house, like maybe in the bathroom so nobody falls, a retrofit of the bathtub, a ramp up to the door, CPAP machine, specialized chairs, beds, you name it. On the south side, it's Hyatt Home Medical Equipment. Big, beautiful showroom, friendly staff. They're there to answer questions. They work with your insurance and they give a discount when you mention socks in the basement. I want you to go to hhme.com. I want you to see all they have to offer. It's all about staying independent and in the home. I'm telling you right now, if I put my parents anywhere else but in their home, it would be a problem. I'm pretty sure my sister gets all the money. So keep them independent and in their home. It's good for you. It's good for them. Stop into their big, beautiful showroom in Evergreen Park at 3518 West 95th Street, or once again, visit them at hhme.com. Friday night, I'm at the game. I saw a cascade, a little unst unst music. I've decided that in my spare time in between podcasts, I'm going to take popular music and I'm going to put a different beat behind it. I'm going to send my 14-year-old son up there and I'm going to have him pretend to DJ it while the music plays on a track that I put together. And I'm pretty sure... I can make a lot of money. And I'm not saying that because Cascade is not a talented guy. He's clearly talented. Clearly. Because I probably couldn't do that. But, like, it gave me ideas. Maybe this podcasting thing isn't how I'm going to make money. Maybe. Maybe I'm the new Cascade. I got to come up with a good name. But before the concert, that was very different from Disco Demolition. Like, a very controlled, like, you get to stand on the dirt in the infield, and if you touch the grass, Roger Bowser comes out and hits you with a stick. Like, it was a controlled crowd. Kind of fun, though. Before that, you get Michael Kopech on the mound. Johnny Cueto walks him out there. This team's got a little buzz. You could kind of feel it. I mean, Andrew Vaughn's talking about how things have changed on this team after the end of that, that Detroit series. And you can kind of feel it a little bit. And me being kind of negative, it was weird for me. But sitting at the game when I saw Cueto walk out with Kopech after what he had said, I felt like maybe, what are we going to see here out of Michael Kopech? He seems like a baller, and he no-hits him through six. Now, I did not agree with Tony La Russa pulling Michael Kopech out to start the seventh inning. The excuse was, the thing that was pushed, was that he's high in innings. Innings don't count. It's pitches. So first of all, knock that off. Secondly, even if it is innings, on the 1st of August, two starts previously, Michael Kopech is trailing 2-0 in a game against the Kansas City Royals, a game in which the White Sox are not hitting the ball and lose anyway. And he pitches seven. 
Not only does he pitch seven, but he's got 84 pitches after six innings. But with 85 pitches, just one pitch more, pretty much the same thing. Tony La Russa elects to not let him go out in the seventh inning with a no-hitter intact. Now, I have a couple of problems with this. One, he just pitched 100 pitches when he pitched that seventh inning on the 1st of August, right? So he's clearly capable of doing it. Two, he generally finishes in the 90s in his pitch count. Not always, but if you look at his last month or so, he's been increasing the amount of pitches that he's throwing. To me, Tony La Russa wanted to get him out early. It was easier to take him out in the sixth inning than have to have fans even angrier when you take him out after the seventh inning. But more upsetting to me is the idea that fans are stupid, that you can sit there and push the narrative that he needs to be rested to protect his arm when just two starts earlier in the exact same situation, losing a game, you elected to get him out there for another 16 pitches, 100 total, and seven innings. So we know he's capable of it, and we know you've been working him to later in the game. So I think that's what my issue is with it. Then the fact that why not just let him go out there and see if maybe he gets an easy seventh and he can go to the eighth. Plus, there's no score in that game and he is on fire and you're trying to win and you never know what's going to come out of the bullpen. Look what happened to the Astros on Monday night. Starting pitchers cruising along, gives up one hit, Baker panics, brings in a very good bullpen guy, bullpen guy has nothing, Sox score four runs with nobody on and two outs. You never know what you're getting out of the bullpen. Now, Reynaldo Lopez has been very good. He looked miserable, by the way, going out to the bullpen, knowing he was going to end Kopech's night. But to me, you had already set the precedent that he can go longer and he can pitch more pitches. And he was the best pitcher available to you going into the seventh inning. And if all of a sudden he gets a quick inning because they decide they're going to try to jump on first pitches and it goes easy, well, what if he's sitting there with 91 pitches going to the eighth? Do you roll the dice if he's still got the no-hitter? Like, if he would have continued on his current pace, he pitches 127 pitches, and that's crazy. I don't expect him to go and do that. I don't. And I kept saying that to my son, like, hey, he's probably not getting the no-hitter. They're not going to pitch him the whole game. But there's no way they're pulling him on 85 pitches in the sixth. But they did. And I think that's probably why fans are booing Tony and they're saying fire Tony and they're chanting it and yelling it. And I was upset about it. And a lot of other fans were upset about it because it was an illogical move based upon how you had treated Michael Kopech up to that point. That's the one problem I think the White Sox have. From time to time, you tell your fan base that they're stupid. When in reality, they're one of the smartest fan bases in baseball. They really are. Take this from a guy who lived from the East Coast to the West Coast doing radio when he was in his 20s, met an awful lot of fan bases and interacted with them. Sox fans in general are very intelligent, especially when it comes to in-game strategy and how players are used. And with the internet, we can look up stats immediately and see things like, wait a minute, you're telling us Michael Kopech isn't capable of this and you just did it 12 days earlier or whatever. So please, come on, knock that off. By the way, Kendall Graveman, only nine pitches in the inning he pitched in that game. So don't tell me it's impossible that he would have gotten some hitters that jumped on early pitches in the count and couldn't have gone a little bit longer and made you think to yourself, I don't know, Michael, 
You got an extra 10? Can you go 110 and get the no-hitter? We're never going to know, though. I want to get some calls here to have come in at SocksInTheBasement.com. We also have a Skype line where you can leave a message as well. The 24-7 phone number for your regular old phone is 708-459-8406. Or you go to SocksInTheBasement.com. You can not only type us a comment, but click on the little microphone in the corner of the page. And if you have the capability on whatever device you're using to speak into it, you can leave us a voice message. Or you can just bump into me at a place like Hailstorm Brewing Company. I know I'm going to be out there, not this week, but likely next week. I'm planning something uh, where I'm going to head out and hang out for the day. Uh, look on social media. I'll let you know when I'm going to be out there. I'll buy you a beer. Uh, located in Tinley Park at 8060 186th Street, right off of 80th Avenue, highly acclaimed new brewer Will Turner is bringing decades of experience and excellence to Hailstorm Brewing, tweaking their classic styles and innovating new beers of his own. The best part about Hailstorm is the giant tap room, the big long tables, the outdoor patio. It's a fun place to hang out and meet new people. Every time I'm there, I make friends. It's got a fire pit outside for the chilly evenings. It's got live music inside on the weekends, trivia nights, and other fun events. And the seasonal beers are great this year on top of the big giant menu. And they make a lot of craft beers. Like if you're a craft beer drinker, there are several options for you depending on what style you like. If you like them all, there's no way you're getting through it in one stay. Primo Mexican Lager is great on a hot day. I, I really liked the Strawberry Lemon Kolsch, Strawberry Summer. Uh, that was a really good one. And Morley, which is for Mokina, Orland, and Tinley, an American brown ale that's a hoppier take on the English brown ale, is solid. Really good. Follow them on Facebook at Hailstorm Brewing Co. to see all that they're doing, all their events, and check out more at hailstormbrewing.com. Let's get to some calls. Uh, some of these calls came in before the team won four in a row, but let's let's see what they had to say anyway. Hey, Sox in the basement, guys. Dean and Lyle watching the White Sox is so frustrating and not going to get too much into it, but it's like a bad mafia hit. I would much rather have them just lose five or win five for that matter and put us out of our misery because winning one, losing one, winning one, losing one, it's kind of like getting one finger chopped off at a time. Just prolonging the agony. We're not going to win the division. That's fairly obvious. This is the reason why Han needs to go, needs to get fired. He has known that we are right-handed hitting vulnerable. We had a chance. Well, I, I said it before on one of the calls, Ben Attendee would have been relatively cheap from Kansas City, didn't do it. Joey Gallo, even cheaper, going to Los Angeles Hitting 267 now, nothing spectacular, but the guy's got three RBIs already and is a force as a left-handed hitter for the Dodgers now. And then the last thing, why not bring up Oscar Colas, see what the kid can do, at least get him ready for next year and plan for next year. That's all. I wouldn't mind Colas coming up even if they wait until September if they brought him up. If he's still killing the ball, why not? Maybe he gives you something right? And every spark is going to be needed if you're going to make a run here at the very end. And there still is a chance of a run if the White Sox have turned a corner. If they've turned a corner with the sweep of Detroit, the big win on Monday night, and now you got Cease on Tuesday against Verlander, and wouldn't that be amazing if he wins that game? He goes head-to-head. -head. Remember, the Sox got the Verlander earlier on in the year in Houston. If they can take three out of four, no matter how that game goes, and then they go into Cleveland, and they can win that series and take two out of three. Anything's possible. 
And it better be possible because you're right. If they don't make it to the playoffs, Rick Hahn should be gone. Tony's not going to get, they're not going to get rid of him. They'll never fire him. He'll be moved out of the manager spot though. And you'll see an upheaval. And so that's kind of what we're looking at on this show right now, right? Like we're watching with a cautious yet optimistic kind of like, come on, White Sox, I love you. Let's win this thing. And you're loving what happened over the last couple of days. And you're also sitting there thinking to yourself, and if it doesn't work out, right? Because I, I refuse to be hurt. I'm going to put a shield around my heart. I'm going to put a little bubble wrap around my, my aorta. If they don't win, I'm preparing myself for that. Then I expect things to change. But I wouldn't mind seeing Colas come on the team late in the year. You know, I mean, if you get to expand rosters even a little bit, you got a hot hitting minor leaguer. That's what that's for. You know, roll the dice. It doesn't hurt. If it doesn't work out, you play him a couple of games. If he doesn't provide a spark, if he if he if he doesn't have a role, if you don't have room for him, whatever it is, then you know, no harm, no foul, right? I, I wouldn't I wouldn't have a problem with that at all. All right, one more call. I was that screaming fan that called you earlier in the year that was screaming Ben and Susa. It's been quiet ever since because of the disappointment that has happened so far. But now I believe the White Sox are healthy. You got Robert Mancata, Jimenez, Abreu in the lineup. Let's f-ing go, boys. Listen, not only healthy, but it matters whether or not they're, they're doing positive things. Like I said earlier in the show, Grandal working the count and getting more on base, that's a good thing. I don't know if the average is ever going to be impressive, but that, that's a good start. And maybe that means that he starts having more at-bats in which he puts the ball in the play, and maybe he'll get another home run this year. Maybe. Yuan Mancata, I don't like the first pitch swinging with guys on base. I mean, eventually, if you do it all the time, it's going to work. The pitcher's going to make a mistake, and it worked out well for us on Monday night. Maybe that builds a little bit of confidence, but man, I'd really like to see him sometimes work the count. But whatever works for him, I'll take it as long as he's being productive. The one thing that kind of drives me nuts about this team, though, is when they need somebody to come up and perform, it's very difficult to find those guys on this roster, on the 40-man, in the minor leagues. Lennon Sosa, I think, could be a very good player, but Lennon Sosa has struggled pretty much every time he gets to a new level. And after nine games and 33 at-bats, hitting 125, a 402 OPS, and Larry Garcia was starting at shortstop instead of him. I do like the fact that they gave him a shot, and I would still like to see him play more than Garcia, even though... In the end, it might be that Garcia was a better option, but you know what Garcia is and you're hoping that Sosa gives you a spark. And I would not have a problem with him going back out and still playing a majority of short for another week. And hopefully T.A. gets back soon. That said, I keep getting asked about Michael Massey. Fans will stop me when I'm out on the South Side because I live in Evergreen Park and I hang out in this area. And Massey went to Brother Ice, where I went to school. And he went to Illinois, where I went to school. And I'm playing 16-inch softball, let's say, on a Wednesday night in Duffy Park, which I think was featured in Sox Math on Monday night. And everybody keeps asking me, like, you know this kid? Because people I know know him or know his parents. And a lot of people keep asking me about him. And he's a second baseman for Kansas City. And I was like, well, let's see how Michael Massey's doing. This is a guy who basically is the second baseman now for the Kansas City Royals after they traded Whit Merrifield. In the short time that he's been up in the majors, 13 games instead of nine, 40 at-bats, he's hitting 325 with a 797 OPS as he went into Monday. 
And I keep thinking to myself, why can't we find guys like that? Like, sure, it's easy to find a guy in the first round, right? Or a guy that's a highly touted prospect. But here's a fourth rounder that played college ball. And we, we've heard James Fox come on from Future Sox, and we've talked to many people who cover the draft. And what we always hear is, well, then they'll go and mix in a, a college player that they don't have to pay a lot for. These guys are a dime a dozen. That's where talent evaluation comes in. Why is it the Royals and other teams in Major League Baseball seem to be able to find that guy in the fourth round, and we don't? Right, let me ask you a question. Just think about the White Sox roster. We'll go around the horn. And you tell me if any of these guys were a stretch where you're able to say, well, that's the front office and great player evaluation. Or is it that they're just picking the low-hanging fruit and guys that should be good, right? So Yasmani Grandal was like the best available catcher that, w- that was out there when the Sox signed him as a free agent. Superstar catcher at the time they signed him. First base, Jose Abreu. Here's a guy that everybody was fighting over when he came out of Cuba. Sox were able to get him because they had several Cuban players that he looked up to. They win the battle to get him, but everybody knew he was going to be a good player. Second base, you got Josh Harrison, really, as your primary second baseman. Free agent signing, very good defense. You know what he is. He's basically what you knew he was going to be. It's not like you found something that people didn't know was already there. Shortstop's Tim Anderson, first-round draft pick. Yuan Moncada at third base. When you made that trade to pick him up, he was the number one prospect in baseball, according to MLB Pipeline. When the Sox trade Jose Quintana to get Aloy Jimenez, he's also on the top 100 MLB pipeline prospect list, and he's moving up quickly, and Dylan Cease is on there as well. Luis Robert, everybody wanted. Sox able to get him, Cuban connection. Gavin Sheets out in right field, a second round pick. So not a first rounder, a a second rounder. Let's say Sheets is the fourth outfielder in that equation, and and Vaughn really is the third outfielder. Your third outfielder, a first baseman in in an outfielder's position, he was one of the top picks in the draft and known coming into the draft as the best hitter and the most ready player for the major leagues when the Sox get him in like one of the first few picks of the draft. I can't remember where they were exactly, three, four, something like that. It's good that they went out and got these players, but where's the diamond in the rough that you go out and find? I mean, Adam Angle's 30 years old, and I think he was in the 19th round, but he's a fourth or fifth outfielder on this team. Sebi Zavala was not a high draft choice. He also wasn't even in their plans to start the season. No, it was Grandal, the big free agent that they had signed a few years ago. And then Reese McGuire, who came from a first round draft pick that you traded for him. Zach Collins was a first round draft pick. So when I look at Rick Hahn and I look at the White Sox and how they build their team, when it comes to position players, finding guys like Michael Massey or any other player, and I only bring up Massey because he's a Southsider, Everybody had a chance at this kid, right? By the way, he's a left-handed second baseman with an 800 OPS. <laughs> hitting hitting 320-something. Doesn't it make your ears steam when you hear that, Sox fans? When you think about that position and what we could use? Back to the one caller who said, like, if we don't win this, that's it for Rick Hahn. I get it. Just as much as I get the angst and anger when it comes to Tony La Russa and weird decisions that he makes. We're always told it's a team philosophy, but in reality... Is it a team philosophy? I feel like this team is winning in spite of some of the people in the organization that kind of do it detriment. So I go back to Johnny Cueto, MVP of this team if they make it to the postseason. Dylan Cease, stud. Andrew Vaughn, killing it. Jose Abreu, amazing. Aloy Jimenez, since he came back. Thank you. We needed that. 
But in the end, it's going to come down to the players here. Can the players play over the manager? Can the players play over the roster that was put together for them? Are they talented enough that if somebody likes a fire under their butts like Cueto, they can actually do it here in the last month and a half? Remember to subscribe anywhere podcasts can be found and always at SocksInTheBasement.com. If you subscribe, you don't miss an episode. If you wait for it to pop up on Facebook or Twitter, you're going to miss some good stuff. I'm with Johnny, baby. I swear if they could put him in the batting order, he'd go two for four with three RBIs. Probably break up a double play at second base, too. Get him a cape, man. He's my hero. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found. And always on SocksInTheBasement.com.